podcast that you're listening to is being presented to you with the cooperation of the SJ Network. If you're a person who needs a publicist and you want to appear on podcasts, contact Stephen Joyner at s-j-network.com. Let's get on with the show. Ellie, today's guest in the Sherpa screening room is Stephen Patalo of the music video Time Machine magazine. Were you ever in a music video? Yes, I was. I did a white snake video with Tawny Katane. She laid on the hood of a car, and I hid in the glove compartment. I miss my early days of fame. Attention, rebels of the Sherpolution. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. We would like to give you a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial, simply by heading to www.audibletrial.com Sherpa. There are over 180,000 titles of audiobooks and podcasts, including this one, to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. And now, the one and only Mr. Bruce will lead you into the Sherpa Chalet. As a reminder, any similarities to podcasts that are actually funny is likely a violation of the laws of physics. Coming to you from Sherpa Chalet in beautiful downtown Mount Podcastia, it's time for entertainment interviews in the Sherpa screening room. Grab an aisle seat and a bucket of popcorn, but don't crunch too loud or you'll miss the show. Now, here's your host, Jim, the podcast Sherpa. of the Sherpa Illusion. Welcome to the Sherpa Screening Room, a presentation of Too Many Podcasts. Tim the Podcast Sherpa here saying hello. And you know what? You can listen to this show anywhere that podcasts are played, such as Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and so many more. All the big ones, all the little ones, we are there. We are creeping up all over the place. We're like, uh, I don't know, we're like dandruff or something like that. But you don't want to brush us off the shoulder because we're cool. That's right. I don't know. It sounded good when I wrote it anyway. And you know what? The reason why I'm bringing this up is if you are listening to this podcast on Spotify Premium, you will notice that we have a little side project that Mr. Bruce and I did a little while ago called Too Many 80s Songs. And guess what that one's about? Yeah, too many 80s songs. That's right. And one of the episodes that we did was a tribute to the first 10 songs played on MTV. Now, why am I bringing this up? It's because of our guest today. He is the founder and creator of a magazine called the Music Video Time Machine, and he also has an accompanying website called musicvideotimemachine.com. His name is Stephen Patalo. He's a Really interesting guy, and in this magazine, he has interviewed all the people who had a hand in creating some of the classic music videos that you probably grew up loving and watching 24 hours a day on MTV when it was actually music playing and not reality TV. Yeah, it used to be music all the time. Trust me, I was there. I was there. And he had a lot of great stories, and you're going to hear some of them, and some of the really dangerous music videos that were made, and along with the Sherpa's own personal story of self-torture. Yes, that's right, self-torture. Don't worry, everything turns out all right. But just have a listen. Don't go anywhere. And have a listen to my conversation with Stephen Patalo of the Music Video Time Machine. Hello there, Rebels. We are here in the Sherpa screening room, and... I was looking forward to this guest today. Uh, happened to find him online. He is a music video historian and an event producer who is the creator of the website, the Music Video Time Machine. And if you know anything about the golden age of music video, this is a website you definitely want to check out. There's a magazine on there with tons of articles and there's lots of behind the scenes videos and a lot of wonderful stories. His name is Stephen Patalo, coming to us from Brooklyn. <laughs> That's right, Brooklyn. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Stephen. Thanks a lot, Jim. How's everything there? I'm doing quite well. Now, I feel like I'm kind of selling you short just by calling you a music video historian and an event producer because you've done a lot more than that. Well, yeah, I mean, I've had a lot of adventures in a lot of different areas, uh, but mostly writing and entertainment and 
uh, media production. Uh, but this particular endeavor is something that I've wanted to do for a long time and that I've kind of climbed a bit of a hill to get to. Um, I came up with the idea of some sort of book or magazine or blog that had to do with music video directors uh, probably about 10 years ago because I was looking for information about it and I didn't really see any. So I talked to this one music video director, Nigel Dick. Uh, and this was probably like 2010, maybe even earlier than that. And he actually is a director of commercials. And so I had crossed paths with him in my broadcast uh, producing endeavors. And I asked him some questions about some of the music videos that he had shot because uh, a couple of them were on his reel. But then I looked at his, his uh, CV and it, there was so much that he had done. He had directed... Baby Hit Me One More Time for Britney Spears, but he'd also directed uh, Shout and Everybody Wants to Rule the World for Tears for Fears and Welcome to the Jungle and Sweet Child of Mine for Guns N' Roses. And I thought that was kind of amazing to have a, a career with breadth like that for those different kinds of videos. And so I asked him what it was like and I asked him, uh, you know, just some specifics about what it was what it was like back then. And he he was very forthcoming. He really, you know, talked about it in a way that seemed like he was very fond of that time. And uh, it started to germinate an idea in my head. Why not do more of these and try to kind of collect all this data and have a reservoir of information that heretofore wasn't really available. So I started doing these interviews and one director knew another director. And pretty soon it was... I had done more than 70 uh, of these interviews with different music video directors. And along the way, um, because of my work in publicity, I met other publicists who were representatives of different bands and a lot of bands from the 80s and the 90s. And so I was able to interview those people about that particular experience of making these music videos. Because a lot of times bands from those eras, they talk about a lot of different things. Uh, their careers, songwriting, you know, big hits, the legacy of their band, but not always, you know, what was it like shooting that particular video? So it was a different take on those particular bands as well. And so I was trying to figure out what I'm going to do with all this. And then, um, then the pandemic hit and I started thinking, you know, I'm just going to make something with this and start, start this down the road. So I created Music Video Time Machine magazine. And we put out the first issue earlier this year. It's available online at musicvideotimemachine.com. Uh, the next one's coming very soon. And uh, it's it, the very first issue I'm really, really proud of. It's 84 pages, just packed with amazing stories. Uh, you know, our cover story is, you know, maybe the greatest music video of all time, uh, Michael Jackson's Thriller. And talking to the director, John Landis, who's, he's spoken a lot about it over the years. There's even a making of Michael Jackson's thriller special that aired you know, back in 1984. And they actually ended up selling millions of copies of that VHS. That's how big that was. But he, he talked a little bit about you know, what the process was behind the scenes, the things that you didn't see, the deals that were made. And then he went on to talk about uh, the experience he had shooting Michael Jackson's black or white video, because then that's like two albums later. And that's a different Michael Jackson by that time. Um, but uh, it, we have a, a bunch of it, music video director interviews. Um, I, I was lucky enough to be able to talk to uh, Bob Giraldi, who directed music videos for actually two brand new rock and roll hall of fame inductees this year, uh, Lionel Richie and Pat Benatar. But he also directed Beat It for Michael Jackson and uh, that Paul McCartney and Michael Jackson Say 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 video. Um, he did a bunch of really interesting ones. And he even talked about working with Jermaine Jackson, you know, <laughs> which, you know, I, I was interested in sort of the juxtaposition of those two guys. So then I also talked to another American director, Samuel Bayer, whose heyday was more of the early 90s. He has the distinction of having directed both Smells Like Teen Spirit for Nirvana and Blind Melon's No Rain, which couldn't be further from this, you know, apart. But when you when you look at it and you see how it's shot, you can see some of what uh, 
what Sam tries to do in being very true to the artist and almost almost documentarian. His uh, videos for the Cranberries were actually shot in Ireland, so those are those are fascinating ones to watch. And he talks about working with David Bowie and shooting with the Rolling Stones. Um, and so th- th- those are the United States directors that we interviewed. The English ones, he, just as fascinating. David Mallet directed all these amazing music videos that really set the template for what heavy metal and hard rock videos would look like because he did ACDC and uh, he did, actually he did David Bowie's uh, uh, the Let's Dance era music videos, which are, you know, embedded in people's heads. He also shot uh, what was initially a very important video, Ashes to Ashes, which is very strange looking and has, uh, has sort of a, a nuclear war almost look to it and, you know, it really embedded in David Bowie's weirdness. But back to, uh, he, he shot uh, these videos for ACDC, for Def Leppard, for Heart, for Billy Idol, it, it, these amazing, amazing pieces. And he talks about some of the influences that he had. He's a big comic book fan. So some of these backgrounds and things, they, they, they resemble, uh, comic books, especially like Rock, uh, Rocky Like a Hurricane by the Scorpions. If you look at it, it looks like it's designed like a comic book. And ABC, uh, ACDC's Thunderstruck is, is a, a video that's shot in this, uh, what's in it, it looks like a, almost like a prison of multi-level uh, people watching this performance. It's crazy looking. So, so David Mallet, one of the guys that uh, I was so lucky to talk to, and also Dave Robinson. Dave Robinson ran Stiff Records, but he also shot all their music videos, and he was a real stickler. He watched the money. He usually shot them in one day. So all those madness videos, like uh, Welcome to the House of Fun, One Step Beyond, Our House, those are all shot in one day. Wow. And, and yeah, it's just amazing. And so beyond those uh, directors, I was able to also talk to Howie, uh, Howard Deutsch, who is famous for directing Pretty in Pink. Uh, and he was initially a music video editor, but then he moved into uh, directing and he had a series of real uh, of big videos that eventually led to him becoming a, a feature filmmaker. He shot Billy Idol's Flesh for Fantasy. He shot Billy Joel's Keeping the Faith. Um, but I, with one I always thought was very interesting, he shot one for Stuart Copeland and Stan Ridgway's Don't Box Me In, which is a song from the Rumblefish soundtrack. So he was able to kind of cross over between those two. And a very nice guy, you know, married to Leah Thompson, interestingly enough. So talk to him. And we have got some other other great features in the magazine that, uh, I mean, I could just talk about this all day, but I do want to point out that we have a, a, an interview with the late Adolfo Shabadou Quinones, who is pretty much the godfather of street dance. He made appearances in, well, he's, he's a, basically a breakdancing matinee idol. He was the lead in, in Breakin', but he's also very prominent in uh, I Feel For You by Shaka Khan. Uh, and he talked about, you know, what it was like uh, sort of being that guy at that time. And unfortunately, we lost, we lost him not that long ago. So I was very lucky to be able to talk with him. Were you big on music video when it was starting to erupt, like in the late 70s, early 80s? Well, my teenage and college years are 80 to 90. So it would sort of fit in there right just perfectly. And uh, funny enough, like many people, I got MTV later. Um, A lot of people don't realize that uh, MTV was in very small markets starting in 1981 when it launched uh, throughout the Midwest. It didn't actually... It wasn't actually on the air in L.A. and in New York until 1983. So it really had to make its bones during that, the, the, that time. And it wasn't initially accepted or considered to be a success. It wasn't until after the I Want My MTV campaign came out and people were actually you know, calling and asking for this channel that people started to really start paying attention. And then the record companies started paying attention Because all of a sudden, they're selling Duran Duran and Culture Club videos in 
these weird uh, smaller markets and they don't, they're like, why, what, what's going on? And they realize it's MTV and it's because MTV is now FM radio for your eyes and teenagers are glued to it. And it, 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 it was a cultural phenomenon, like very few we've ever seen. But yes, I, I grew up in that era. And what's funny is that before we got MTV, we, uh, my brother, my younger brother and myself would watch uh, WTBS's Night Tracks, which came on very late. And that would have music videos. And also USA Night Flight would show videos as well. Uh, so there, there were these smaller places that you could, you could see them outside of MTV. Also, people forget HBO had a thing called Video, uh, video Jukebox that used to run between movies. Uh, early in, in HBO's uh, storied history. So there were other places that you could see these. I remember actually uh, in the 70s seeing a video for, it was either Cheap Tricks, Dream Police, or it was, the, uh, it was Gary Newman's Cars on a terrible variety show called Pink Lady and Jeff, <laughs> which had these two uh, Asian women who would sing the hits of the day. And In Japanese. Yeah, yeah and, and Jeff Altman <laughs> was sort of the foil for them. It was such a weird show, but I, and I remember like watching it for a few weeks and the musical guest would always be, it would always be a clip. So... That and that, interestingly enough, is part of the evolution of music video. In the seventies, these were have these were being shot in the UK very regularly because there's a whole network of European countries that all have music video, uh, either channels or shows that would uh, air these. And in the UK, they saw that as a, a huge promotional opportunity. They called these pop promos or international clips. And so you would shoot those. And so that's why when MTV first went on the air, a majority of the clips that you see, they're, they're not, I wouldn't say that there's a majority of English acts, but it's, there's a majority of English music video directors who had shot all these. Uh, you know, Pat Benatar, uh, her first video, You Better Run, shot by uh, an English director, Keith McMillan. Uh, video killed the radio star shot by Russell Mulcahy. Uh, and he became famous for the things that he shot for Duran Duran and Elton John. So there's a whole sort of history that kind of goes along with a certain demographic of people. I know they like to call them the MTV generation. I'm, I'm definitely in there, mm -hmm. uh, but the, the evolution is so in the, in the grand scheme of things, it's so fast you know, 76 to 94 is, it, it's a totally different ballgame by the time you get to 94. Because in 81, people were in the industry were still going, this is going to, this is a, a network, an entire channel of commercials for songs. That's, that's what the channel is, you know, and, and they kind of shrugging their shoulders. But then when it started to work, everybody got on board. It was amazing. It was amazing. The music video directors that I talked to have such a fondness for that little sweet spot of time uh, in the early 80s because the record company didn't, still didn't know what would work and what would not work. They just wanted a clip. They wanted it on MTV because they knew it would sell. So these guys would come up with crazy ideas and the record company would go, sure. And if it worked then that was fuel for the fire for the next one they wanted to make. And maybe it was a little bit crazier or maybe it was a little off the wall. And so these music video directors, so many of them confirmed that they never had enough money and they never had enough time to shoot these, but they never had more fun at anything they ever did in their career before or since. Yeah. I guess, you know, we said a lot of these directors were, you know, art, art directors, or they did commercials, whether depending on what side of the pond they were on, I guess. And uh, it was probably more convenient, you know, if they were making like TV shows or movies. This was something like you said, like the madness videos, where they could do it in a day, as opposed to dragging out a shoot for months on end. One of the most distinct 
differences between the UK directors and the US directors is that the ones in the UK were a lot of art school students and they were looking for filmmaking opportunities. Um, and you gotta, you gotta remember London at this time, there's not a lot of opportunity to shoot movies. There's only, you know, two channels, maybe three at this moment. Uh, so if you wanted to go into this, there was very limited opportunity unless you shot these particular pop promos. And so that's why Rod Stewart has 11 music videos on the very first day of MTV in August 1st, 1981. It's incredible. But uh, the opposite side of that is that in the United States, guys who were shooting music videos were also shooting commercials. That's kind of where people went to find their music video directors for artists if they didn't want to hire somebody from the UK, if they wanted to keep it local. So you had guys like Tim Newman who shot the ZZ, ZZ Top videos. You had guys uh, like Wayne Isham who shot all the big pop metal videos uh, for uh, Bon Jovi um, and Motley Crue. Uh, and you'll notice the dichotomy between these two is that when you're a commercial director, you have your eye on what's going to pull people in. What, what, are, what are people looking for? And, you know, everything from, and, you know, someone like Gil Bettman, who shot uh, Sammy Hagar and Chicago videos, between those, it's all about cars and girls. There's so much that has to do with the U.S. music video that's about cars and girls. You know, these guys were shooting beer advertisements at other times, you know. Meanwhile, the U.K., these guys you know, are, are all about the art of it. And, you know, looking at, at Zoom magazine, which had this incredible imagery that they would, they would uh, tap into. So it made, it made for a very interesting, uh, not, not even dichotomy, but... Uh, made it more of a varied palette when you were watching MTV. Uh, and that was part of the fun of watching it. It's not knowing what the next one was going to be, which is something that's lost on the on-demand generation that we have now. They don't really take any chances on, on, on that type of thing. I mean, as far as I know, it just, it seems like everything uh, is so, made for convenience, you know? And, and it, there's a difference between being in a record store and asking, you know, like in High Fidelity, talking to Jack Black about, you know, uh, Sisters of Mercy album and, and the Jesus and Mary Chain. There's a difference between that and having an algorithm that's saying, hey, if you like this, you'll like that. You're very specific in uh, when you define the golden age of music video. I, I think it's interesting you said that the first real major video that affected this was, was Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody, because I guess it probably necessitated the uh, video having to promote the song. Well, it, it, it's sort of an interesting path for that particular song or that particular video, which is something I think we're going to cover down the road in Music Video Time Machine magazine. Bruce Gowers shot... Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody in uh, less than a day. Um, all the effects that you see in the middle part during the opera were all done in camera um, by turning the camera toward one of the monitors to make that interesting, mm -hmm. uh, which essentially a visual echo kind of, kind of look. Um, so there was no post-production. They shot all that, they cut it together and they, as Bruce said, they were in the pub by the afternoon. But the problem was, Top of the Pops was not going to show it. They insisted that uh, bands come on and perform whatever the song was that they were going to do. And the band basically said, no, we're not going to do that because we, we haven't really figured out how to do this live and we're not going to come on and perform it live because you can't really perform it live. And you think about it and they said, well, I guess you're not going to be on top of the pops. And they're like, okay, well, that's the way that is. But the problem was Bohemian Rhapsody climbs the charts, gets to number one. So now all of a sudden you have a program called top of the pops that doesn't have the number one song on it. So now the pressure is on top of the pops. What are they going to do? they eventually relent and allow it to go on. Many of the music video directors I know said that they saw 
this air in, uh, in 1976, uh, 77, and a light bulb went on there in their heads that, oh, you know, you can, you can do something more creative than just a performance video. You can shoot something that's interesting like this. So that's why I bookend the front end of that. Even though the, there was a, a lot of precursors to the modern music video happening before 1976, that moment with Bohemian Rhapsody is kind of a linchpin moment. And then I picked 1994 because that was the end of Guns N' Roses' Use Your Illusion trilogy of music videos, which included Don't Cry, November Rain, and Estranged. Uh, which cost multi-millions. They had multi-million dollar bud budgets. Um, by the end, Axl Rose is jumping off a battleship into a, <laughs> a ocean of mermaids. Uh, not mermaids, but an ocean of, uh, of dolphins. And uh, I mean, Estranged has three guitar solos. It's crazy. And uh, he's slashes, you know, sliding down Sunset uh Boulevard at one point or, uh, down the Sunset Strip, sorry. Uh, and at another point, he's playing guitar while being raised up out of the ocean. It's nuts. And when I spoke to the director, Andy Morahan, he said he felt like he had not really captured the, the essence of the band by the time they had finished this. It was already all, all done. So he went back to the band and said, look, I'd like to shoot one more thing with you guys that's really, really simple because I, I, I feel like I... I didn't quite get the essence of this band captured on film. So they shot a little video called Garden of Eden, uh, a song from uh, one of the Use Your Illusion albums. And it's basically a locked off shot, which means that you basically put the camera in one place and don't really move it and put a microphone in front and Axel is right there in your face and all the rest of the band are playing right behind him. And they play this, this punky, hyperactive song called Garden of Eden and you watch how they are. And it, it, he felt that he really captured what they were about with something very, very simple like that when he kind of missed the boat before that. So I thought that was a good bookend going right back to where music video kind of started, which was performance um, and capturing the essence of the band. And soon after 1994, the whole music video uh, world was uh, really changing. You had a second generation of directors. You had guys like Stefan Sebnow and Spike Jones, uh, who were doing these, uh, you know, uh, Michel Gondry, who were doing these very interesting versions, but they had already lived through a world that had embraced the music video. They knew what it was. They, and it was a full-fledged industry by then too. So that's why I sort of put that at the end. Um, not you know, not to discount any of the music video directors of the of the '90s who come later, um, but it did turn into something else. And then eventually, as we all know, when art and commerce fight, <laughs> commerce ends up ends up winning pretty big. And uh, you know, I, things just change. They just change. The music obviously got a let, lot less important on MTV and they started shifting over to reality television. And I, I find it kind of odd that they still do a music video award ceremony being that that's not really their focus anymore. It's not lost on everybody that, that MTV doesn't really play videos uh, as much anymore. Uh, on the 40th anniversary of their first day, uh, if you looked at the schedule, there's almost no videos being played at all. Um, and if you notice also, if you look at the MTV logo, they cut music television off of the bottom of it. So now it's because they think that there's some sort of, I don't know, cachet to just having it say MTV without the music television. Right. Um, but the joke sort of writes itself. MTV doesn't really stand for anything. Right. <laughs> and uh, I, I, it's part of it is the, the old person in me saying that it just sucks now. It's just not as good, <laughs> but it's hard to, it's really hard to think of any other channels that have the sort of uh, arguments attached to them the way MTV does. 
where people are like, it's not what it used to be. It's not, it, it's not as good. Mm-hmm. What other channels do you know like that? Except, you know, maybe Bravo, just because Bravo used to be an arts network and now it's just real housewives all the time. Right. But uh, other than that, uh, it's hard to, you know, and I also think that there's a, a, like they said, the MTV generation, they really feel a weird, not weird, but they feel a very uh, tight ownership of not only the channel, but the channel's success. And they feel like they've, to a certain extent, been abandoned. So it's odd. It's an odd thing to see. I, I personally think that MTV should do one or two things. One, they should reprogram it as a, a station that actually, you know, uh, caters to that audience, to the MTV generation. I mean, these, you know, these people have money. <laughs> you can you can <laughs> sell ads. You can do that with this. They should either do that or just retire the channel. Uh, you know, rebrand it as whatever you want to call it, but don't call it MTV anymore because it's really not. Well, they have MTV Classic. I know sometimes they, they'll actually play hours of blocks on video there, but it, it's not really the same. It doesn't get the promotion that MTV had. Well, we do, it, and also everything is different now anyway. There's 4 million channels. And back when, when it was, I remember watching MTV, I think there was only 30 maybe uh, at the most. So yeah, it, it's also like, you know, your first kiss. It's not ever going to be the same. I remember when uh, MTV first came out that they were pushing to have a stereo hookup. Yes. Television to kind of, so you were listening to the radio and watching TV to kind of have that, that sort of effect, I guess. Their big push at the beginning was FM, FM radio for your eyeballs. So there you go. I mean, with all the directors and the, and the artists that you've spoken to, were there any crazy stories that stick out in your mind? Oh, thousands. Yeah, I try to save those for the magazine. And and some of them are in the blog, if you go on. Uh, I used to write a a, a blog called The Golden Age of Music Video. And then we we moved that over to Music Video Time Machine. And that content is available within that. But, oh, yeah, these guys have lots of stories. One of the stories that you can read, actually, in in, uh, the David Mallet interview is about there's a scene in White Wedding, I believe, where Billy Idol, well, there's a motorcycle that comes down a flight of stairs. It's being ridden down a flight of stairs. And David Mallett said, oh, yeah, if he'd have gone a little bit to the left or a little bit to the right, he'd probably have been hurt uh, permanently. There wasn't a lot of safety on the set of any of of these. Um, One particular story that I really enjoy, which will be covered probably in the very next issue, is... A music video director one time had a scene where these two actors are running away from a tree that is supposed to have either been hit by lightning or, or, or blew up or something like that. And when they went to shoot the scene, it kind of, the, the ignition kind of went poof. It wasn't very impressive. And so they ended up pouring kerosene on the tree and setting it on fire for the, for the shot. And, and, uh, when they set it on fire, the actors are supposed to be running away from it. And, and they do, they start running away. And one of the actor's hair catches on fire. <laughs> no. Kind of singed it. Not, not, not severe, but kind of singed it. It's in the video. Really? You can see, if you stop it, you can see the guy's hair on fire. <laughs> so yes, crazy stories like that. Um, Jeff Stein uh, one of these video directors uh, who did Hall and Oates, Out of Touch, and Method of Modern Love. Mm-hmm. There's a scene that's in Method of Modern Love where Daryl Halls is uh, on this very high uh, shelf or, or cliff or something like that, uh, scaffolding. And his manager says to to Jeff, you know, he looks like he could be hurt up, you know, if he fell down from there. And Jeff said, oh, no, he'd be killed instantly. <laughs> 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 I, I know they weren't big fans of music video. I saw that interview with John Oates and it is hilarious. Oh yes. John, John, John's interview in this particular issue is one of the, one of my favorites. Um, and you have to give it to Hall and Oates. They're, they're extremely talented methods of creating these timeless songs. Uh, their pop craftsmanship is so tight and so perfect. I mean, you have to remember, I, these guys had 
hit after hit after hit. They put out uh, a greatest hits, Rock and Soul Part One. Mm-hmm. The two extra songs they put on there were Say It Isn't So and Adult Education, which both went number, like, top 10. Right. They were unstoppable. But their, their music videos were always a little bit cheesy or a little bit disconnected. You know, there, there wasn't any... And there was never a moment of brilliance in them. They, they were passable at best. So when you take someone like, like, like John Oates, he, you know, he's a musician and that's what he always had aspired to be and continues to be. But MTV was a necessary part of the, of the whole system. So I got to give it to Hall and Oates. Their pop craftsmanship was so good that their crappy music videos didn't ruin their career. <laughs> I, I would definitely agree with you. I remember uh, a while back, I was, it was probably in the 80s, uh, the band Yes, and MTV yes. put out uh, a, their video, Leave It, and there were 12 versions of it, and they played them consecutively the day that it was released. Oh, now, I remember that. Yeah. I rem- yeah, I remember that very distinctly. I believe that was Godly and Cream yes. that shot those. Yeah. Uh, and Kevin Godley, that's another great interview um, that's going to, I'm going to show a ways down the road. Uh, he said, not, not that they were uh, looking through an altered view due to any substances, but he said that many of those videos should have been credited to Godly and Cream and Hash. And uh, I, remember, I remember Leave It, but, but what I thought was very interesting about Leave It is they made all these, these different versions of it and stuff like that. And then they turned, they turned it upside down. The shot of the band is upside down the entire time. And I, 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 I was sort of fascinated at okay, uh, what's going on? And that's part of what was great about the, the conceit of MTV was when there's videos that don't make any sense, there's that kind of wink at you like, yeah, we know what's going on and you don't because we're cool. So you keep watching and maybe you'll be cool. <laughs> I remember when that day it came out, uh, stupid kid me uh, was watching it with my brother. I said, let's watch all 12. Now, I didn't realize this was a form of psychological torture because by version eight, we were rolling on the floor laughing and we didn't even know what we were laughing at. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I haven't gone on YouTube to try to see if I could find all 12 of them, but I imagine somebody had it on a VHS somewhere and probably put it up. Stephen, do you think that it got to the point where MTV was almost parodying itself. They were doing the, the pop-up videos and the I love the 80s and the, I love the 90s. And they were almost kind of like looking back with like a wink and a nod to, to some of the videos. Um, I think uh, MTV does not understand parody of itself. <laughs> <laughs> um, other than one... Uh, they did a special one time called MTV Give Me Back My Life. And it was, it, it really actually was a parody of all these different specials and things that they had been doing. But other than that, I think pop up video was a way to repurpose these videos and make it interesting uh, in a way that, you know, sort of we try to do with music video time machine, you know, tell you some things about behind the scenes and mm-hmm. things like that. Um, I think I love the eighties. I love the nineties, that kind of thing. It's, it's a repackaging of the same thing. Um, somewhere along the way, business people figured out that if you can take stuff that, you know, people already like and sell it to them again, then, you know, that's a sure bet. And I'm, I'm absolutely believe that's what those specials are all about. I mean, I'm one to talk music video time machine. I'm telling you stories behind things. I already know that you like, so (laughs) you would think that would, you know, that's kind of a sure, a sure bet that the um, unique thing about this though, is that a lot of these stories are are untold prior to this. Uh, I have an interview here with the director of golden earrings, twilight zone, uh, video, which is one of my absolute favorites. It's like a little James Bond thriller. So I wanted to know how that all kind of came about. And uh, Golden Earring is a Dutch band, and they had a Dutch filmmaker named Dick Moss who shot this 
crazy little spy thriller and it really still stands up. I, some of these videos I go back and watch just because I love to watch them. I love watching uh, Peter Gabriel's Shock the Monkey. I love watching, well, you mentioned earlier, I love watching Yes, It's Owner of a Lonely Heart. It, that's, it's so fantastic. The, the, the version that has the guy and the, and the birds and the freaking out and all that sort of thing. I love watching that. There's a video for uh, Ian Hunter, the former Martha Hoople uh, vocalist uh, called All of the Good Ones Are Taken. And it's a, it's a sweet, funny little video about a rock star who can't get this waitress to talk to him. And it, it's, it's just, it's a lot of fun. It's, and I remember seeing that one particularly on TBS's Night Tracks, actually. Um, so I don't know. I saw, I saw many of them that really stuck with me. Um, oh, I, I forgot to mention in this issue, we also interviewed Zbigniew Rubczynski. Uh, Gesundheit. No. <laughs> Zbigniew Rubczynski, uh, this amazing uh, Austrian music video director who shot some uh, just really crazy stuff. He actually was one of the first adopters of HD video. Uh, he tried to get you know people to sign on to that a long time ago. And if you look at something like Candy by Cameo, he shot that. It looks like he shot it on film. He didn't. He shot it on HD video. It's pretty, pretty incredible. So some of the videos he did, I always like to go back to, like for uh, Close to the Edit by Art of Noise um, and uh, Let's Work by Mick Jagger. It's pretty amazing. He also shot one for a metal band, uh, Accept, uh, for this this uh, this video called uh, for a song called Midnight Mover. And if you watch it, it's actually kind of a precursor to that uh, bullet uh, bullet time shot in the Matrix, which actually ends up happening like almost twenty years later. But uh, Rybczynski shot it with, I believe, sixteen different cameras around the band, and then like edited it together. So seek out accepts Midnight Mover. It's a crazy looking video that's absolutely worth worth taking a second look at. Those are some of the ones that I always like to look at. Do you think that there's a comeback at some point for music videos or you think that it's kind of had its day in the sun? I don't think that we live in a, in a landscape where there's, uh, there's comebacks. Uh, it's just a media is just a sea of crap. <laughs> it's just a total mess. And everything is, it's everything all the time. I heard this great comedian not too long ago, Pete Holmes, uh, thank his audience for, thank you for, you know, coming to see me because you could have watched any movie ever, <laughs> you know, which is true. And, you know, I don't want to go into it too much, but, uh, people, there's so many choices right now that anything that gets a little smidgen of attention, uh, is doing its job because there's so much out there that's just nonsense and garbage and terrible. So I think there's two paths that have, that music video has gone on and that will continue. And that's multi-million dollar videos for Beyonce and, these, you know, Taylor Swift and these people who have enormous uh, resources to be able to do that. And then the other side of it is this great democratization of, of the internet. You can record your own album and shoot your own videos and do, you know, and try to build your own audience, you know, do stuff on TikTok, do stuff on all your social media. And that's how you come across someone like Billie Eilish or Lil Nas X. And, you know, the, these people, they figure out a way. Um, so I don't think there's going to be a comeback. I think it's another resource for people to use. It's like saying, it's, is, is, uh, are the movies going to have a comeback? Well, they, they kind of didn't go away. They're just different. And I think music video is the same thing. There's some artists right now that are doing some really interesting, really interesting stuff. Tyler, the creator. I'd have, oh, I always point out as being very inventive and very interesting, the things that he's, uh, that he's putting out. I would seek out videos for artists that you enjoy already 
but also, you know, think about what filmmakers do you like and, you know, who are they listening to? And there's all, there's so many opportunities for you to just get outside of your own comfort zone and see, you know, what's good, what, what's, what's looking like it's going to be more interesting and, and go back and look at some of these, these groundbreaking strange videos from long ago. I mean, if you go into the, the, the Devo catalog, it's a wild ride, you know, in there. Um, so th- th- there's a lot of opportunity for anybody who wants to work in music video, but unless you have, you know, Beyonce budgets, there's s- still not a lot of money in it. So, you know, I, I shot my share of micro budget videos and it's a whole lot of fun, <clears throat> but I can see how someone would tire of it. Uh, and I don't know. It, it's just a different media landscape than it used to be. So I don't know that a comeback is actually a, a, a proper term for anything that could happen to probably anything right now. Now, I'm not going to let you go until I mention that it's on your website that you actually won on, it was VH1's Name the Video, and you won, you won a truck. I did. I did. Actually, uh, it's, on the, it's on the website under the bio section. Um, Yes, I was on a game show called Name That Video uh, in 2001. And in the, it's exactly what you would think it would be. It's like Name That Tune, except it's videos. And so in the final round, they would show music videos on a giant screen. And as they show them, you have to name the artist and the song. And then they would go to the next one. And if you named 10 in 60 seconds then you win the grand prize. And uh, I did it and I had many seconds left to spare. Um, I won a Toyota four by four with a, a cool stereo and the 100 greatest albums of rock and roll on CD. Yes, it was still, that was still happening then. Um, <laughs> but uh, I was of course living here in New York and I didn't need a car, so I sold the car back to the dealership, and I paid off my student loans. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I said, "Nice yeah. way to put a fine point on it, Stephen." <laughs> uh, well, thank you. It, you know, yeah, I'm, it, it drives it drives my parents nuts. They hate that story. So, <laughs> <laughs> okay, so before we end this, uh, let everybody know about the, the website and the magazine, and if there's anything else that they should know. Well, you can also catch up with us on, on social media. On Twitter, it's at MV Time Machine. On Instagram, it's at Music Video Time Machine. And you can read the magazine for free by going to musicvideotimemachine.com. Uh, we also have a blog and we also have events. In fact, I, I had an event last night. We do these uh, dance parties where we show music videos on a giant screen. People uh, have a good time. We've been doing it at the Bell House here in Brooklyn lately, but uh, you know, we're always open to opportunities. So uh, it would be good to maybe take it on the road uh, a few places here and there. If anybody's interested, you know, let me know. But uh, mostly you can check out everything at musicvideotimemachine.com. And uh, you know, uh, it's been wonderful getting to talk to you, Jim. Yes, it's been a pleasure having you here. This is, it definitely takes me back, uh, like you said, talking about things that, uh, that you like talking about, right? And not to put you on the spot, but what, what is your favorite music video of that 80s, 90s era? Oh, wow. Uh, there were so you're, many. You're such a music fan. I would figure you probably have a top 10 that moves around a little bit. <laughs> That's a good way to describe it. Um, I was definitely heavy into music in, in like the 80s. Now, were you more a rock guy or a pop guy or? Uh, probably like new wave and pop around okay. there. But I did like a lot of, I still did like a lot of classic rock and everything like that. I had a pretty good uh, mixture of, of stuff that I like. I have like over 1,200 CDs <laughs> packed Ooh. away. Wow. Yeah, all of us. They're all packed away because you can put them all on your phone now. So. I always like the madness videos and it's interesting that you said that they were shot. You know, it was just all this, it didn't even matter if it was like a happy song or a sad song because the videos were just so like, what are they going to do now? Because they made it like goofy. 
Right. They, they were very British. They had a very British sense of humor to them. And uh, actually, if you watch uh, Our House, there's a scene where this guy is supposed to be parachuting down uh, and the parachute actually falls before he gets down there. It's a total <laughs> screw up and it's in the video. And I asked Dave Robinson, it's at part of the interview that's in this issue. He says, uh, I said, what happened there? He's like, oh, we shot it. And you know, that, then that was it. So I just said, I had to kind of, you know, I just put it in there. <laughs> it was absolutely one of those, we're going to give this a shot. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And I guess when they got to the editing room, they're like, that's really funny. Let's just keep it in there. I like it. Okay, so as we were saying, music, music Video Time Machine is the website and also the magazine for you to check out. And I've been checking it out. There's a lot of great stuff there, Rebel. So have a gander at it. Steven Vitalo, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Jim. Have a great day. Be a rebel. Follow the show at Sherpolution on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Hey, you know, Rebels, here's a little bit of inside information for you. If you go to Stephen's website, musicvideotimemachine.com, you will see a video of him making a presentation on the history of music video. And if you missed the MTV era, you will finally understand what the buzz was all about. He summed it up really great and a really fascinating way as well. You're going to like that. And again, you will see the video of him winning on that VH1 Name the Video show. Winning a truck. Wow, that was so cool. I'd like to say thank you to Stephen for coming on the show. It was a lot of fun getting to know him and speaking with him as well. And I hope you guys had fun too. So thanks a lot for coming along and listening. You can leave a five-star review or as many stars as you like. Six, seven, 25, 17 and a half on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and let people know that you are enjoying the Sherpolution and you want them to come along as well. We have a lot of fun here, don't we? Yeah, of course we do. And you know what? We're going to do this all over again next week with another episode of the Sherpa Screening Room. And you know what? Next week's episode is dedicated to those of you who enjoy classic 60s family comedies because I am going to have a star of one of those shows right here in the Sherpa Screening Room, and he had a lot to talk about. Fascinating guests, some really cool stories. Oh, you're going to love this. I'm not giving his name away. You're going to have to tune in next week, folks. So tell you what, tell one friend about this podcast, and then tune in next week. And subscribe. We're everywhere. It's just that easy, folks. Okay, Mr. Bruce, I think I've sold the episode. So we can get on out of here, and we will see you next time, and I will leave you with a Viva La Sherpa Lucian. See you next time. Thanks for listening to the Sherpa Screening Room. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast. I'm Mr. Bruce, and this has been a Sherpa Loose Studios production. Viva la Sherpa Lucian.